out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Thatcher on Acid, because I recently spoke to their um, bass player and vocalist. It was the one and only Matt Cornish, who I um, caught up with, and we spoke about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff, as well as anarchy as well. So this is the interview. Um, After several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. I know, it's a classic, isn't it? Um, So anyway, Matt is going to tell us more. Tell us everything. Anyway, it's over to you, Matt. I certainly, well, I'm, I'm exactly the same age, so um, I certainly remember um, the glam era. You know, I, I was, I, I reckon I got into pop in about 72, something like that, and, you know, but it was all, um, you know, uh, top 20 type stuff, you know, um, stew pop and uh, oh um, Saturday morning, you know, um, yes. Radio 1 stuff. Um, but, yeah, I remember... Bowie in particular, catching my eye. Yes. But, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, I, you know, I remember the Wurzels. I don't know, don't know if you were Oh, my God. They were, all, uh, you know, they well, were we know a, all, uh, those, all those bands because there was, people were in the charts for literally months, weren't they? They didn't just go yeah, in one week and yeah. were out. They climbed up the charts like some sort of, asthmatic athlete in a long marathon that's me basically um so yeah i mean people didn't just kind of go in and out like a sort of yo-yo we we endured you know we had all those bizarre things there was even singles by people like benny hill and telly savalas that if i heard them now it's like i couldn't tell you how they go well possibly benny hill but i couldn't tell you the telly savalas one but i can remember those kind of novelty things that happened yeah yeah there are a lot of sort of um things like that when they you know um I think one of the first singles I bought was um, Mouldy Old Doe by L- Lieutenant Pigeon. Yes, God, that was there. And, and uh, you know, Chicory <laughs> Tiff and all those sort of... Um, well, there was also, I don't know who did it, but who was the one who who had the song You Won't Get Me on Part of the Union? Who was oh, that? the Straubs. Straubs. You know, I yeah. mean, you know, that was, that was kind of in the charts, being sung by everybody, including a 12-year-old probably. So, um, yeah, I mean, all those ones. I think people like, interest enough, it was people like David Essex who had an amazing one called Rock On, which was quite an unusual yeah. song. Even now I listen to it and I think, that's really all, all the uh, Boston Tea Party by, um, oh God, that Scottish band who were quite sinister and weird. Um Welcome to the tea. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Him. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I know. Yeah. If anybody's listening, they'll go, God, you two have just got Alzheimer's. No, I haven't. But yes, it was a clan. So when did you, did you, what was your family like? You know, your parents, did they have, um, yeah, sort of music, you know, was it a musical house? Um, not really. I think my dad was quite musical, but he, um, you know, we, I, you know, we had a, uh, we had a radiogram, you know, so record player and a um, tuner and everything all in one. Um, There's a big bit of furniture you had there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was like a sideboard sort of thing. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I remember, you know, my dad had, you know, um, Cole Porter and um, Porgy and Pet. Bess was one that he liked, the musical and things like that. It was, um, 
So you had, quite mainly... a cl- you had quite a classy record collection then. And yeah, he of... did, really. Um, and I remember, he, you know, Pink Floyd he had. Um, and the Beatles, obviously. Um, so, you know, he had, you know he, had a, he had a bit of a collection there. Um, but, you know, I... That, you know, my my first sort of um, memories of sort of getting a single and playing it on the radiogram, um, you know, it, it, it takes me back to that, you know, like I say. Um, yeah, a lot of classical stuff as well that he was into. Yeah, that's quite good. My parents were into really terrible country and western, really, like Boxcar Willie and Jim Reeves and... Um, I was kind of, and we didn't have a record player, I think, because we were sort of, I grew up in the countryside in East Anglia and, you know, very working class. I think that was the generation that never had any debt. So, I mean, they didn't have much at all, but when they had to buy something, they they worked for it and saved up or they sold everything when they got married, including their records and record players. So we didn't get a record player in the house until the early 70s. And that was like yeah. a really big thing. So, and and then my brother was seven years older and he, he, he was that generation. He was into prog rock and he, yeah. you know, yeah. he was loving the prog rock period. But bizarrely, the first couple of records he bought was the Sgt. Pepper album, by the Beatles and then Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which I was kind of mesmerised by both of them. And and then, you know, looking back, thinking, God, the Beatles had only just broke up when I was beginning to get into music. Like, I Yeah, t- yeah it's weird thinking about th- things like that, isn't it? Just, yes, you know, the timeline of... Uh, they just seemed you know, like they'd completely gone, but it was like, well, they'd only broken up for a couple of years, you know, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, the, looking back at the sort of punk days and things like that, that'd be the same as us then looking back to the 20s or you know pre-war sort of music isn't it the the it's um time plays tricks on you doesn't it they do they definitely do so when did you i mean as the 70s kind of trucked on and we were very excited by things like the the endless kind of change change of government and then strikes and then sort of the three-day week and then electricity cuts did you did you start to you know, was was punk a period or a moment that sort of got you interested in in sort of potentially forming a band or being part of a band? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I missed the um, you know the, the beginning of punk. You know, seventy uh, six. I'd just gone to secondary school, um, so I think you know I was very much. It, it was a post punk period that really got me. If you see what I mean. Um, yes. Where did you grow up? Uh, down in Somerset. Um, yeah, sort of rural, rural child. Well, we all were uh, originally before oh, we all moved up to London. We were all a bit feral in the seventies, weren't we? Yeah. We didn't, you know, just yes, just go out and play in a puddle, really. So, um, yes. So then, yes. Yeah, so Somerset, land of the Glastonbury Festival. And yeah, Pilton. Uh, the Pilton Pop as Festival, as you like to call it, don't we? Yeah. One upmanship, really. Um, yeah, so the 80s, very exciting. Well, kind of. Um, at the time, it was quite grim. But then you know, 79, Thatcher gets in, obviously. Yeah. Sort of, it, it's a game changer, really, isn't it? There's no more sort of 
political kind of um, deviation after that, really, between the whole Labour and Conservative. It's kind of Thatcher all the way. And then, you know, the Falkland yeah. War, then the miners' strike. And you mentioned post-punk. So we had those bands like, you know, Gang of Four and Peel and uh, the, the Nightingales, the Fall, Fall, Fall and Parkinson Smith. But then the kind of the indie world starts to kick in, doesn't it, with, with bands like Orange Juice. And then 83, the Smiths appear, which I thought was kind of a big bit. But then you had the, you know, we had punk and then, the anarcho-punk scene had started to yeah. also get going as well with bands like, you know, Blythe Power and um, Conflict and, yes, that, that whole other world. And I think, I can't remember who Blythe Power, well, who Joseph was in before Blythe Power, but he was in some... Uh, yeah, he was in The Mob. The Mob, that's... And then, I'm... well, The Mob, then Zounds, then um, Blythe Power. Because we, we, we went to the same school as Joseph, so... My God, he's a Somerset. He's a Somerset lad too. Well, I have to originally. say, I think he's one of the great wordsmiths of our time. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. His lyric. I mean, I've still. I mean, I've got a lot of his kind of those A five kind of pamphlets of his kind of albums and lyrics, and I just think, you know, how how he's not really been given the the kind of credit. You know, some critical of I don't know. Or, Kind of given a bit more kudos for what he does and and his work, I just think is is a shocking shame, really. You know, because I think he's just a genius, really. So um, it's a history lesson in one song, really, isn't it, with Joseph? So uh, yeah. So obviously, did yeah. you have very good teachers then in your school? Yeah, I think we did. Um, you know, music probably wasn't one of the uh, core subjects, if you, if you see what I mean. But um, it, it's a weird. It was a weird school because it was. Um, it was a grammar school and then it became compre comprehensive the year well the year after I joined right um and Ben was in the same year as me um you know Ben from Thatcher and Acid that is um and um yeah I, you know it's 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 you know school days are weird days aren't they but um yes you know I was fairly you know, I, you know, I'm one of those people, I actually enjoyed my school days most of the time, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it, music was quite a big thing, even back then, you know. I, I, quite a few bands formed out of um, the years around us, like, like you say, like um, Bride Plower, um, one of them, um, Mark from the Mobs, was from you know just down the road in Yeovil. Um, you know, I remember the first gig I ever went to was um, the Mob um, in a little village hall. Um, you know, just out, a few miles away from where I lived. Um, and Joseph was there. He's in a uh, he was playing in a band called Valley Forge at that stage. I think it's before he joined the Mob even. Right. Um, but you know, yeah, he, uh, you know, I, even then, I remember him as, as being sort of influential. He was he was fairly influential for uh, you know for all of us in the in the school. So um, yeah. So were you in a band before Thatcher on Acid, by the way? Yeah, it was a, a, you know a school band basically. Um, we um, there were sort of uh, rival bands in 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 the school where I was in a band called Static Activity um, and Ben was in a band called Accumulative Poison 
Um, and we were both sort of trying to out-punk each other um, at the time. And then, so how, how come there was so much kind of excitement and activity? Because coming from East Anglia, there wasn't a huge music scene. And we had, you know, I don't want to knock them, but frankly, you know, we had the Farmers Boys, the Higsons and Serious Drinking and a few other bands. Yeah. But I'd hardly say it was like, you wouldn't, Cherry Red Records wouldn't really put a compilation of East Anglia's finest bands out from that period. And um, they'd, they'd have trouble just even filling 14 tracks. So how come, you know, a country, you know, a, quite a rural setting had so much kind of going on? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, right? I mean, it, that's something we sort of mulled over as to, you know, why so many decent bands came out of the area. Um, there was a big, there was kind of a village, it, it seems odd, but there was a village hall scene where, you know, we would just organise gigs between ourselves, hire a village hall, which you could get for nothing usually. Yes. Um, you know, um you know, we'd pay, piece together a PA from wherever, uh, you know, and put on about five bands. Um, and, it, yeah, it was quite a sort of thriving scene for, for a while, certainly for a few years. Just being um, curious on village halls, because I used to love them being from the culture. Was it, did you have one of those little wooden ones that seemed to be, well, a fire risk for one thing, but, you know, I, I just sort of, they've all been knocked down now, but they were just very small little wooden things that obviously got built somewhere between, around the war period, I guess. And Yeah, sort of slatted wood structures, you know, sort of doubled up as scout huts and things like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of them. There's a few of them. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I think they're just fantastic kind of structures, but sadly they're all kind of rotted and have been knocked down now, but. There was some yeah, we did set we did set fire to one once because our our PA overheated um, <laughs> and we sort of set fire to the stage. But um, yeah, we were quick with the fire extinguishers and managed to um, avoid a you know some disaster. Yes, we're quiet. God, there's no soundproofing or any sort of insulation on the, on those village halls, really, are there? So then, yeah. So then, when did Thatcher? Was Thatcher on acid? Was that 83 that the band sort of formed? Yeah, 83. Um, again, I, Ben left. Um, we I would have been in the sixth form at school still then. Um, ben left school. Um, he left the band that he was in. Um, he got the band together. It was, it was himself, um, a guy called Spike, who was playing bass, who was the bassist in his previous band. Um, and a guy called Martin on drums. Um, that was, yeah, mid-83. And then what happened was, despite the bassist had to go off to university, um, so, um, you know, I was at a loose end, so I came in on bass. Um, and, yeah, we did, you know, first sort of few gigs we did was all around the West Country, Somerset, sort of area um yes. and then ben and martin decided to move up to london um and then i joined them and that was it my god so what did you at that stage were you on a bit of a mission or were you sort of hedging your bets because because i know that was a period where you know unemployment was vaguely easy to get hold of and then there was job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance scheme so it gave a lot of people 
a period of time where they kind of could get their, you know, a dole money of something like £37.50p and the council tax and, yeah. and um, yeah, your rent paid as well. Did You know, I just wondered is, if, if that was what you were also doing and whether you were working or whether you were studying as well as being in the band. Yeah, well, I, I was studying. The other, um, the other two were uh, squatting in South London. Um, and really, that was the only way. I think those two two ways were the only way to um, get by back then. You know, I I was lucky in that. You know, back in those days, if you um, did a university degree, degree, um, you could get a full grant. You know, you got your tuition paid. Um, you know, I was able to stay in student accommodation, and um, you know, still have money left over uh, yes well absolutely um, i think it was that period where you could even get housing benefit i think sometimes at- yeah yeah i mean I, um and i remember like you know during the sort of summer recess you could sign on for the three months yes this is true um yeah <laughs> i know my my brother you know managed Happy to save quite a lot of money on being here yeah well you know I, I i bought a base with grant money and things you know what, what uh, were you other, studying at that time? Um, I was drawing, so studying medicine. I went on to be a doctor after it. Right. Um, so, you know, I had a five-year degree course, which basically, you know, the, m- most of the Thatcher and Acid period, um, I was, a, you know, I was a student for, um, which was great, you know, uh, best of both worlds, really. Well, I know. Well, there's a few people. There's a member of the Hard-Ons who seemed to be studying. He was in Australia. And uh, Amelia Fletcher, who was also a bit later in the 80s, was also a student by day and a musician by night. And um, just kind of balanced it and actually kind of enjoyed that that kind of having both worlds rather than sort of thinking we're just going to do music. It was like, actually, it was quite a nice sideline. So, um, yeah. Yeah, You know, very much so. And... um, you know, uh, you know, you could go away for, a, you know, certainly a few days, if not a week, and um, you know, no one at the college would miss you, really. Uh, no, absolutely. This is this is also true. Especially, I think lecturers weren't so bothered about attendance in those days, were they? Yeah. Things were changed different then. So, when did um did the band? You know, did you have a quite an ethos at that stage? Because because listen to sort of some of the albums, which I've done quite a lot to rem- to remind myself, there was a bit of a reggae dub feeling in there. And I remember there was quite a lot of bands from the especially the West Country. There was a there was an outfit called the Rhythm Mites. You were yeah. just brilliant from from that neck of the woods. Did you were you sort of kind of bringing in different sort of ideas and styles that you had been listening to? Yeah, I mean, we never, we, you know, I, I don't think we really set out to be an anarcho punk band per se. You know, um, so we had all sorts of uh, influences, but you know, going back to the post punk thing, really, you know, um, reggae was a big influence. Um, yeah, you know, yes, there were the, the um, you know, the crasses and the conflicts and the flux of pink Indians, et cetera, et cetera. All, all poison girls, well. we loved the poison girls, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was all there. I mean, it's a real misratch. Are we, we never set out to be anything, really, and we never set, we didn't take ourselves that seriously um 
I think we all felt that there was a bit of a tendency, um, particularly amongst the sort of anarcho-punk crowd, to be very, very earnest and serious. And obviously, you know, the politics was important. Um, but, you know, it, it was important to have to have fun as well and enjoy ourselves. Yes. Um, though, though, to be honest, if you were a bit of a lefty in the 80s, it was a bit angsty, wasn't it? We did. Yeah, it was. A lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it... I think so many of those bands did, you know, um, did take themselves very seriously. They you know, did. They weren't, you know, crass weren't much of, of a laugh, really, generally. <laughs> yeah, that's politely put, isn't it? Yeah, I know. You had to say the right thing and dress in a lot of black sometimes. It was a bit too much. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and we did take the piss out of that a fair bit. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, sort of, sort of slightly later on when, you know, we were playing bands like Fugazi and things like that. I mean, when we first met Fugazi, they were very, very earnest, you know, with their um, straight edge um, ethos and all that sort of thing. Um, and he, I suppose the only band that we, you know, we got on, well, we we really got on with that were a bit of a laugh as well were Chumbawamba. Right. Because, yes. you know, they, they kind of saw the uh, both sides of things as well. Yeah, well, they, they I can't remember exactly what year they, they started to sort of appear. Was it kind of more the mid-80s? I do remember the story that they, um, I should know because I've done interviews with two of the members, but I just remember them sort of putting their hands up when someone said, you know, we're booking some bands, and they went, oh, yes, and they went, oh, God, we're not, oh, my God, they've just said yes to us, and they had to suddenly yeah. quickly form a band, which was quite an amazing story. And obviously, yes, they, they became very sort of one of those bands you had to sort of have at least one of their records in your Pictures of starving children was, I think that yeah. was the classic one, wasn't it? Really, before they became much more sort of bouncy in the nineties. But then, yeah. yeah. So during that period, I mean, we'd had the kind of the whole rise of, you know, there'd been the minor strike, so there was lots yep. of there, and then the Red Wedge tour and and the excitement of Paul Weller and Jimmy Somerville and um, yes, Junior, who was in a band called Links. I think. Did you? I mean, were you? Oh, and the Redskins as well. Did did you yeah. sort of feel like you were part of this kind of movement that was kind of happening at this stage? Uh, it, it became that way. Um, like I say, I think to start with, we we didn't really have any idea of what movement movement or whatever we were trying to be in, um, and we kind of fell into it. Um, but I think you couldn't be in London in a squat and not be part of that movement well in a you know and in a band yes um so you know um you know it, it, i just remember doing endless benefit gigs um throughout the sort of late 80s blimey um, you must have been very busy on that front actually but did you also because i noticed and and sort of speaking to various bands especially from australia who decided they needed to basically go somewhere else other than Australia. They came to London and, and often yeah. in various kind of places. Did you sort of pick up on a kind of a music and artistic kind of community at that time? Yeah, and it, it was, you know, it was still the days when, you know, you had to, well, you certainly felt that you had to go to London to make it or to 
you know get part of a scene yeah um uh, i you know i'm pretty sure ben's plan was to move move to london and then you know get in get get the band going you know we were we were actively looking for gigs um as soon as we moved up to london um but it, it, it kind of um, it, it came on gradually, you know. It, we didn't fall straight into some burgeoning scene. Yeah. Um, you just kind of, um, I think, if you just gigged around, you eventually got to meet people, and you eventually got to um, get the gigs. Yeah, because your first single was Moon Dance, wasn't it? That was the yeah, first, yeah. The first release, which was kind of on. Yeah. All the madmen. Did um, yeah. we was at that stage? Did did you ever kind of sit down as a band and sort of have any kind of plan or sort of idea of how to take it forward? And and you know, we'll do the single, do some touring, do the album. I mean, I just wondered if there was any kind of master plan within in the outfit because often you know with any group you know there's a couple of people who are taking it more seriously than others. And I just wondered if if there was a sense of of people thinking no, this could be my career. I think um, none of us, when, when it comes to master plans, um, you know, as a three piece, um, none of us had a master plan. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Ben, ben was, I guess Ben was the, the kind of, um, he was the driving force really. Um, and again, the all the madman thing was via, you know, we knew um, the mob, um and um joseph and then via um uh rob chalice who's you know running it at the time yes um um i i know i don't know how how we managed to get that the money to do the single or, or the album um again there was no plan it just seemed to happen um, so when you went into the to do the first album, which came out sort of eighty seven, which I still think is yeah. probably the great year, greatest year for music, the releases of that year were stunning. Did you have all the material? Had you been replaying it and had got it all pretty organised so you could go in the studio? Yeah, I mean it was our it was our live set really, um, um, and yeah, I went to a studio in Brixton. Um, well, it's it was the same place we did the single. Um, I think I think it was five five days, um, but you know it was, you know it was a, um, all the madman of paying, um, you know, and it was you know seemed like a lot of um, a lot of money at the time, or, you know, a lot of studio time because we'd only done a, you know a few demos, and um, again the, you know, back down in Somerset we had um, you know knew a couple of people who'd got. Um, Sort of minor little tiny um, recording studios. Yeah. Uh, so I did a couple of demos, but um, um, yeah, it, it just it just came together. It was our live set. We played our live set um, and put it out. Yeah. Do you? Um, I mean, what what sort of numbers do you print, or does does the record label print? Because it's always kind of curious. Because in those days, I mean, the independent charts were quite 
significant and and the record sales were also quite phenomenal you know when you look at them now i mean how many kind of records do you think you know they they printed of the band for that that particular release i, know, I think i if, if i remember correctly they, they you know printed a thousand to start off with and to see, you know see how they sold really yes um and i don't think we sold that many i mean <laughs> overall you know it um we sold more as you know sort of later releases as cds and then online than we did as the original um final pressings right um, did did you um on the publishing and the songwriting did you sort of split it amongst the band yeah yeah um you know it was, it was always i can't remember whether it was credited as like the three of us or just as the band i think it was credited as the band um and you know for a few years a, a trickle came through from the um mps or whoever it was you know um uh, um getting some money back but you know um i don't think um i don't think all the madmen made any money out of this so we don't feel <laughs> we don't feel sort of um um you know we've got no story story of um no record company uh, doing us out of money no it wasn't the basic sure they... rulers was it really you weren't you know where the the band made absolutely nothing but the manager you know had a fortune in his bank bank pants no exactly i don't think we just saw it as a way of getting some gigs really you know yeah absolutely but then you brought out the second album which is also titled satchel and acid the following year yeah. so the, the band must have been absolutely sort of on a bit of a roll at this stage and you were you still doing your studies at, at this point 88 um yeah i would be then i mean we um you know uh, again a lot of it was um uh, because the thatcher and acid one that um um that's essentially there's a lot of you know we, we did some live recording um um and we did a um we did split EP with Watt Tyler a bit later. Uh, that was a um, um, you know that, that was a way of um, uh, getting enough money together to put something out. You know, just uh, split it with another band. You know, yes. Um, this was this was quite a sort of thing at the time, wasn't it? The, the great split. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, was... and you thought, well, you you get like double the amount of fans. In theory, <laughs> not, not sure it worked out that way. You yes. know, two, two, two bands that the uh, mutual fan base wasn't probably, you know, there wasn't that much crossover. But well, I could imagine because a few years later you did a split with the the band Seven Year Bitch, didn't you? Which yeah, were yeah in America. Yeah. So, what was your experience like playing in the states? Um, oh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was um, um, there was a guy called Lance who you know unfortunately he's dead now but um in a band a band called cringer from uh san francisco um and he just wanted us to play over there um and somehow we got the money together and he you know he put the tour together um and yeah uh you know it was um it was a blast really you know Yes, you know, we, like, met quite, we met a lot of uh, 
cool people. <laughs> I would imagine it was very, and this was all on the West Coast, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, it was like we were based in Oakland and uh, San Francisco. Then we, you know, we went up to Seattle, um, Portland, um, down to Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah, Tucson, Tucson. That was the weirdest place we played. I think Tucson, Arizona. Yes. Standing on the corner in Tucson, Arizona. I don't know. That's the Eagle. No, that's um, Jackson Brown, isn't it? But then, you know, as the 80s trucked on, because I did notice there was a bit of a shift in the music scene at this point, mainly because ecstasy appears, doesn't it? And suddenly everybody's getting into the dance scene with, you know, bands like the Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses. And, you know, and there's also what I've noticed with doing these interviews that most bands have a five-year narrative. You know, they get together, they have that 12-month honeymoon, they have a single, John Peel plays it, they get the session. The first album, things are going good. Second album, it's a bit tricky. And everyone's a bit fed up with touring and the lack of money and also the dynamic in the band. But you're obviously, you've got sort of staying power at this stage. It's, it's, that hasn't hit you too badly, the, the rise of this sort of ecstasy scene. And also the next wave of, you know, 16 to 18 year olds who often want their kind of soundtrack of don't want to listen to people who've been around for at least three years or four years so yeah so as 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 the 80s finished and you were sort of looking at you know because you changed record labels quite a few times didn't you or put records out on different labels yeah I mean as time went on we we sort of put more money into ourselves rather than um like I say I you know partly because all the Madmen, you know, it wasn't a huge success. Our first album with All the Madmen, so um, um, we put a live album out ourselves, um, and then it, it, it was Chumbawamba who who fronted, you know, at least some of the money for sort of second main studio and album. Frank, Frank, um, um, you know, we recorded that up in. Uh, up in Leeds or uh, Castleford, uh, right? Um, Famous chart. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's our association with them really that um, sort of saved us in a way because you know we, we did quite a lot of gigs with them um, and maybe a few people that um, wouldn't have heard us otherwise, you know, got to hear us. Uh, so that kind of uh, kept us going. Well, I would imagine benefit gig wise, it was a golden period because then we did have the anti poll tax league, didn't we? Which, yeah, yeah. And 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 at that stage, Thatcher, yeah, she was starting to wane, wasn't she? She wasn't so waxy anymore. She was waning at that stage, wasn't she? She was having more issues. I think when you've been in power for that long, people are starting to stab you in the back. Well, stab you anywhere, really, aren't they? So, um, yes. Did yeah, um, was the, the end of the thatcher area (laughs) i guess when you 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 called yourself thatcher on acid you realize that you know where you did you think oh dear when she's gone this band are going to have issues with their kind of not really i i I don't think we ever thought that far ahead really and and at (laughs) the time i think we thought you know she was going to be a permanent fixture fixture you know couldn't couldn't imagine life after thatcher no, we couldn't. We couldn't. That was always a bit of a shock when I think it was ninety one, wasn't it? Spring of ninety. Uh, yeah, ninety one. She she'd gone. Ninety two. Yeah. And were you? I mean, as a musician, were you feeling more confident with your ability at this stage? Because because listening to the latter, you know, albums. Well, you only did 
three or four, didn't you? But you know, there yeah. was a sort of there was a certain confidence within the sound of the band. Well, I guess so. You know, I think that just comes from gigging, really. Um, you know, we did a lot of gigs. Um, like I say, um, probably sort of eighty uh, percent of them are benefits of some description. But you know, still got to play. Still got, um, you know, got to practice as a result. Um, and the, you know, got they were pretty well attended as well. Yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, I think there's nothing worse than doing a gig where you're putting it on or, you know, someone, a promoter is putting it on and, you know, there's five, five people and a dog in the audience. Right? Um, whereas if it's a free, free benefit gig, you know, there's plenty of people there, even if they're not listening to the band. Yes. So with your, your ex, um, not collaboration, but sort of being on the Chumbawamba label, Prop, did that, did that yeah. sort of feel, you know, like, a nice sense of community and and sort of bonding going on here. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think we were like we were very slightly sort of um, distanced from the sort of harder core anarcho scene. If you see what I mean. Yes. Um, um, now we did we did we did one sort of fairly infamous gig with conflict um was that uh, Brixton? Brixton, Acad Brixton academy um and that was our that was our kind of peak um anarcho punk moment um, <laughs> yeah and you know i think we well i certainly always found that um Chumbawamba were coming from a slightly different place you know politically and um, um, locationally as well, coming come yes. from the north. Yeah. Well, you could really put your foot in it sometimes, because I sort of realise even the SWP would sometimes were, seem to be held as even worse than the Tories, and you're thinking, God, I'm... I oh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of riot, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I can remember plenty of arguments, um, you know, where essentially, you know, you're... If only you knew that you had more th more things um, linking you than uh, separating you. But yes, with with Frank that came out in kind of nineteen ninety one. Did the, did you you know? I'm just always curious because it's kind of fascinating. Did you you know? Were there more sales? You know, were the sales of the album sort of peaking at this stage? Again, I think it's it sold all right. Um, yeah, I can't I, I can't put fig figure on how many we sold. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, like I said earlier, our um, you know our we were never out to sell albums, and that's probably just as well um, because um, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, um, you know, I think I th you know I'm more proud of the fact that the stuff is kind of out there now. If you see what I mean, you know. Um, and if we'd ever, um, you know, if, we, if you know, if we'd ever become big like Chumbawamba did, because you know, there's so much controversy when they put out tub dumping and signed to EMI, and you know, you know, B 
being seen as selling out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yes. Um, and I don't know what I, I mean. You know, I like to think we, you know, we knew what we were doing and we knew where we were going. But um, you know, I think in a way it was it was a good thing that we um, went under the radar slightly. Yes. Did you? Um, I mean, it was kind of interesting because. Um, Chumbawamba were one of those bands, or they seemed to be members of a band, who could never be wrong. So when they signed for EMI, instead of holding their hands up, this is what I felt, they didn't say, God, you know, it was easy to say we'd never play or be part of EMI when you knew we weren't going to ever be asked to be part of it. But then when you get asked to be part of something, it's a bit different, isn't it? But then they yeah. never sort of said that. They said, oh, it's not the EMI that does arms and kills babies and innocent people it's a different one it's part of the germany one this is my take of it and it's a bit like guys you just sometimes need to be a little bit more like oh shoot that's a bit embarrassing but they weren't they were still right even in when they're being annoying yeah i mean you know i think they saw it as a way of getting their getting their music out to a bigger audience which was you know was successful um from yeah. that point of view it's just but yeah i mean i think you know there, there was a lot of um a lot of uh dissatisfaction shall we say amongst the uh the 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 hardcore punkers yes well it was it was kind of after i think there was albums weren't there about emi and you know how evil they were so um it yeah. would have been okay if there hadn't been sort of albums and songs about this kind of particular thing and then it was like oh actually we're just signed for them and i don't know yeah. it always just seemed a bit like if 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 they'd held their hands up and just said, yeah, that's a bit tricky, but it was like, no, we're definitely just still not being hypocritical and we're definitely not wrong about this. This is absolutely fine. Just listen to this. We're, we're still the good guys. And it's like, well, but then it's always good when, you know, I wouldn't say they were my heroes, but it's nice when people kind of let you down and you think, good, that's, that's a learning curve. Yeah, proves we're all human. It does. We would have, you know, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have, Time for EMI if they'd give me. anyway. Look, that doesn't matter. But then, when did um the nineties? We had Brit Pop, yeah. and, and you obviously had finished your studies. When where was the band going at this stage? Well, we did. You know, we went to America, and um, that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. I mean, we didn't. There was never again. You know, everything kind of happened by um, things just falling together or falling apart or whatever you know there's no there's no kind of big bust up and splitting up or anything like that I I, I, I finished my studies so you know I wanted to go on to um, um, to work um, I think um, uh, Ben there was um, there was a um, someone had organized a trip to Sweden um, which I couldn't do, so they, um, um, Bob, who's a friend of the band, um, came in to play bass, and they did this trip to Sweden. Um, and then, um, because uh, right at the end of, um, at the time we were doing Frank, um, we did a co collaboration with Steve Ignorant, right. From from Crass and um, you know he he just sang on one of our songs, and um, 
Ben and Ben and Andy then went on to form Schwarzenegger with mm -hmm. Steve. Um, so in that way, it was a kind of a natural progression. Um, you know, I, I need. You know, I I wanted to leave, um, and you know, it was probably time to leave at that point. So. Yes, and then obviously. Did you have a moment? Did you sort of go, this is it, guys? The quote Jim Morrison, this is the end, or did you just, wasn't it that dramatic? Um, I think we did a final gig, if I remember right. You know, we, we knew we were going to um, go our separate ways, but, it you know, it wasn't a big deal. And um, I think, you know, we, I think at one point, after they'd been to Sweden, there was a plan maybe to get back together, but it just didn't didn't materialize um we got back together to do the um there's the mcleod libel right um, of course again uh a benefit as ever um we <laughs> got because uh, that was quite a few years later um trying to think when that was that was 95 maybe i can't remember um ben be able to tell you um so we got back together for that um um yeah, and, you know, we're still all on speaking terms. Yes, and did you, you know, did you sort of put the bass away and leave it there, or did you sort of just occasionally sort of play it or even sort of form new bands? Because I see you, there was another band called The Levels. Was this a band that happened later, much later? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, that, again, that was, uh, that was actually a guy um, that was in the first band I was in back in school days. We, we just got together and... Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I still enjoyed playing. Um, but, um, yeah, no no commercial ambitions. No, it's probably... Not, not that there ever were. No, but you must be pleased with the legacy of the band. I mean, do, do you ever sort of feel yeah. like you'd quite like to, you know, compile an archive and sort of, you know, put a box collection out or just a, a, a sort of... A, some sort of compilation with all the material on. Well, certainly, you know, you know, much of it's available online now anyway. Because um, it was um, after we went to the States, um, um, you know, a couple of people reissued um, the, you know, basically the back catalogue um, on CD. Um, so you know it's it is there um you know i'm quite you know i'm quite pleased well certainly pleased we did it um you know i think it i mean it does stand up now um like i say i think you know people you know we still occasionally get um you know correspondence from people particularly in america who have sort of stumbled across us yes um and um you know there's for years, I don't know if they still do it, but there was a couple of, um, uh, you know, radio stations in the States who were, you know, were playing our stuff quite regularly. Um, so, you know, it, it is still out there and, um, yeah, quite quite proud of it, really. Well, it's, I know. Well, it's it's a kind of, it, it forms part of the narrative of that period, doesn't it? And, you know, yeah. you, and if you're a player and you've done it and you've got the the albums and the, not just the stories, but the experience of playing these places, I mean, no one can take that away from you. And it's kind of fantastic. So 
I think it's it's yeah incredible really you know to to have that as a as something that you did during that period and you know and I suppose in a way knew when when to sort of let it slide really rather than trying to force it when it's kind of had its day yeah you know it was a it was a it was of its period I think um you know it, you said earlier about you know did, did we like feel that we part were part of a movement um and I, was, I don't you know I don't really think we did but you know looking back you know there was a you know London in the late 80s beginning of the 90s was a you know was a good place to be a good place to be playing um you know it's only now that you look back and you think you know the, those gigs aren't having a you know the same impetus impetus isn't really there at the moment no no you know obviously you know the last year has been atypical but um you know i think Brilliant. even before so was COVID. one with the highlight of the band was it was it the more the the live experience than the studio and the albums that you yeah were... yeah i i think so uh you know we we, we enjoyed ourselves mostly playing live and was it um, was it supporting conflict or america which was the kind of particular high point i just wonder which was the the moment that you thought when you look back god that was quite brilliant if only i had appreciated it more at the time i think probably the american thing i mean conflict was a bit of a weird one um you know it was uh and you know it ended no quite i mean we never got paid by the way um, <laughs> i think we only wanted 40 quid um, but um but that was supposed to be a benefit as well so right um, but we did get we did get some live material out of it. Um, so yeah, no. But going to going to the states, I think, was, um, and you know, and, and just just little things like doing that um, um, double, um, you know, the single single with seven year bitch things like that. You know, just um, yes. Well, it's. it's it's kind of small things like that. I kind of remember that feel um, most proud of sort of thing. I'm not surprised. I think that's fantastic, actually. I mean, if you could have said something to your 16 or 18 year old self who was starting out, you know, and obviously, you know, everyone has a different journey. But is, is there anything that you would have just kind of thought, oh, yeah, I would have just whispered this in their ear as they were about to... Um, Ask for the money for their conflict gig. Give <laughs> <laughs> it up um, on that now. Yeah, I know. You can let that go. Say, Colin, Colin yeah. from Conflict. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just hope that you gave that to a charity. Yeah, the, the resentment was there for years, but uh, we, we're over it. <laughs> I know it's hard to let go, isn't it? You just get one of those. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So I just wondered if there was anything you would have just said to them or to yourself that you'd have thought through the, you know, because you had obviously experience and certain amount of wisdom, wisdom and reflection from from what you did, and you got around the country and obviously played a lot of benefits. Yeah, I think you know uh, probably don't expect too much. For it. Um, you know, it's, it, it, or uh, the other thing is that it's more the experience at the time you know make make more of the experience at the time probably you know don't be don't be thinking too hard about what you know what you want to do or what you want to become 
um, just live in the moment and uh, enjoy it. Yes. Did you take enough photographs to remember it and keep your archives? Um, yeah, I mean, I, both Ben and I were fairly keen photographers, so we did get quite a few um, photographs there. Um, probably what I'd wish is that took more photos of various other bands we played with. Um, but. Yes. But then, you know, we had only, only, in those days, film was only 36 frames, wasn't it? So you didn't want to waste it too much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I did all my own, um, you know, developing and stuff like that. Um, my God, you should put out a fanzine book of your photographs. It would be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few of them knocking around. And, I, and like I say, Ben was a, uh, keen photographer and, and we knew a couple of people who were photographers as well so that, there is a fair bit of um, photographic evidence out there oh well, uh, yes i hope it all gets archived one day we love archiving anyway that's all yeah. good isn't it but look well matt <laughs> thank you ever so much for your time right. this. this has been great and um yes when i because I, I sort of sort of you know interviewed Andy last week just to um, yeah. get the story, and um, yes, it's it's all it's fantastic. I've been really enjoying kind of hearing the the narrative of bands, and and you know what I was always amazed with with the eighties is that you know even though I was there at the time, I didn't still didn't appreciate kind of how many other little layers and chapters there were. Yeah, yeah. Within, I think I've, you know we do tend to um, get absorbed in our own little um, you know clique or whatever you want to call it you know or our own little genre yeah um so yeah you know i yeah I mean, there's a lot of stuff that passed me by or you know i noticed sort of coincidentally rather than um, yes did you have any sort of musical guilty pleasures though during the 80s that you thought god i better not tell anybody that i listened to this when i'm when i'm sort of not on not on stage or in the studio yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people, you know, secretly like the pop, you know, the basically the popular stuff. You know, um, I remember ten, um, you know, just bands like Ten CC or um, you know, ABBA or even, um, you know, yeah, it, it's kind of it, these days you can say that you loved ABBA, and no one, you know, everyone assumes that that's um you know um it's kind of a ne mainstream thought now isn't it to, yes. to enjoy the the popular side of stuff um back from the 80s or um, 70s um you know and you know disco and it's, uh, so many so many things that you know if you if you were part of a particular clique, you weren't really allowed to say that you enjoyed it. No, this is very true. It was very, it was very touchy and precious, wasn't it? Really, a bit too po faced at times. But then, you know, it made it even more exciting when you listen to such classics as Dancing Queen and um, yeah, I don't know, various other Shardy's first album. There was exactly. no, you know, you thought, oh, it's quite nice. Oh, my God, I didn't say that out loud, did I? Um, <laughs> you shouldn't like nice. <clears throat> but then, you know, it was also quite comforting. You weren't going to go home on your own and play crass records, were you? Let's face it. No, uh, you know, I th yeah. 
crafts was very much for um you know for public consumption if you see what i mean yeah. yes to put on when you seem to be seen to in, to be seen to enjoy it sort of i know well you just got them out and quickly flicked them around the room it was i remember there was a woody allen film where he was uh, some date was coming around and he sort of ran around sort of getting magazines and getting cool jazz albums and you know it was a very funny little moment actually when he uh pulls out this jazz album and the vinyl record spins out and smashes against the lampshade and you know there's this you know because we've all done it well i did um just trying, trying to have those signifiers weren't they that one was cool and groovy like getting your jack kerouac on the road book and just leisurely putting it on the table and going oh yes i i love the beats they're fantastic shouldn't admit that really should you anyway look matt on waffling but thank you ever so much for this this has been great that's okay and, uh, yes, and I can always, you know, and and I'll put it out, and then you can use, you know, and I'll, I'll send you a link if you want, and you can always. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. And then everyone will go, oh yes, that's your answer. I remember them. I'll go and listen to them again. Anyway, look, have a great evening, and thank you ever so much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot. Take care. Great to great to chat. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. Right. Bye. See you then. Bye. bye. And that, dear listener, just in case you didn't know, was the end of the interview. And a massive thank you. I know, I love leaving that last bit in because it's always so fumbly on my part anyway. Anyway, that was a huge thank you to Matt Cornish from Thatcher on Acid for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David East on the C86 Show. If you want to contact me for some lovely reason, I'm sure there's lots, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do um, C86 Show. Positive, groovy, that's what we like. Also, all these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. I know, if you said that in the 80s, we had no idea what you were talking about, but now it just seems completely normal. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.